Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm late. I'm late. For a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com too Much Information is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that brings you the secret histories and little-known fascinating facts and figures behind your favorite TV shows, movies, music, and more. We are your two ninjas of knowledge. I'm Alex Heigl. And I'm Jordan Runtog, and we are here with an emergency episode of Too Much Information. Yeah, I want to do the... Can you plug in the... Uh, Jamie, can we plug in the siren sound from uh, <laughs> Kill Bill, the Layla Schifrin cue? <laughs> That'll be my impression for this for this episode. It's just that <laughs> obnoxious siren sound. Today, we are notching our second ever food episode. So this goes out to all the people who were super into the Oreos episode, which was way more people than Jordan and I thought. We're saying goodbye to that beloved cornerstone of the ice cream truck, the bodega, the school cafeteria, if you were lucky, the Choco Taco, which Unilever announced this (sighs) week it was discontinuing by the end of July. I guess last week by the time we taped this, but... My grief has distorted my understanding of linear time. Jordan, as a resident sweet tooth and or guy with strong opinions about all things sugar related, what's your take on the chalk talk? Well, I mean, I think, quite frankly, it's a masterpiece. Good. Um, that is the correct answer. Yeah, no, exactly. Some people may say that it's basically a gimmicky version of the drumstick, which combined vanilla ice cream, a chocolate shell, peanuts, and a wafer cone decades earlier. These people are wrong. (laughs) The Choco Taco perfected the ice cream cone. With cones, you get the toppings and fun stuff on top at the start, but then the rest of the way down is a disappointment. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a great metaphor for life, but not what you want in a summer treat. (laughs) With the Choco Taco, it's a horizontal experience rather than vertical. You get an even mouthful of all the toppings and sauce the whole way through. Plus, the taco-like shell is good for people with sensitive teeth. So... All in all, I think it's the perfect ice cream-based dessert. Like so many, I first experienced it at Taco Bell in the early 90s. I remember it so well. 
And I assumed it was part of the menu, and I was <laughs> pumped when I saw it in the supermarket and realized that I could bring it home and have boxes of them for my very own. It was a big day. Um, I have to admit, we fell out of contact in recent years, but I will always have a soft spot for the Choco Taco, and it will be greatly missed. I'm going to let you in a little secret about me, <clears throat> Jordan, <laughs> is that I love novelty-shaped treats. Hmm. So that includes the all the superhero ice creams i would always get those from the oh, like the horror with the eyeballs of yeah Gumball. the super misshapen like incredible hulk and spider-man captain america spongebob so naturally i love the choco taco well from its humble roots in my beloved philadelphia to the u.s senator who immediately tweeted out a crackpot but apparently still viable idea to save them to their spot at the center of a vicious feud between the U.S. Bureau of Land Management and the organizers of Burning Man. <laughs> Here's everything you didn't know about Choco Tacos. Time for a little recurring segment on this show we like to call Philadelphia, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> The Choco Taco has its roots in the city of brotherly love via the Jack and Jill Ice Cream Company, which was founded there in 1929 by a guy named Max Schwartz, who got his start selling ice cream out of a wooden box he carried on his shoulder. He went mobile in 1938 with a truck, and his son Jay expanded the business into the Delaware Valley, eventually pushing it to Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Sadly, no one named Jack or Jill was involved. Uh, the name comes from the nursery rhyme. Lazy, but fine. I'd like to take a minute to talk about my favorite hard scrabble beginning to an ice cream related fortune. Mm -hmm. uh, Shanine George, I believe is her name, a Lebanese immigrant who founded the Joy Cone Company, which I believe accounts for something like 60% of cones sold in the United States. She was a survivor of the Titanic disaster in 1912. She was a third class passenger, one of the few who made it off. And so... She immediately decided to found an ice cream company or an ice cream cone company. Oh, well, you know, it's funny you ask that, actually. I'd had it in my head that somehow seeing how we'll get to this later, but ice cream and ice cream salespeople at the turn of the century was like a major way of selling disease. Prior to ice cream cones, they would sell ice cream out of little, you know, glass dishes, yeah. which would then be sort of haphazardly washed by the ice cream vendor. And this was also pre-pasteurization. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk oh. about this in a little bit. But newspapers were filled with stories of, like, ice cream poisonings at fairs and stuff. Wow. So I had read this story about how this woman, Shanine George, saw how the fragility of life through the Titanic disaster and wanted to think basically of a safer way to, to enjoy ice cream. share this beautiful treat. Yeah, enjoy ice cream. Huh. I think that's garbage. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I actually, I, I have, for some reason, I have it in my mind. I think I read that in a Titanic book years ago and it's just kind of morphed. But reading about her today, I, I just saw like, I think in the late 19 teens, early 1920s, she um, she started the company. I don't know. I, I, I saw nothing about a spiritual awakening after the Titanic disaster. I, I choose to believe that. I like that. Whatever. Maybe. We're going yeah. with that. It's canon okay. now. The Choco Taco itself was invented in 1983 by a guy named Alan Drazen, who is then the VP of the company. He had gotten to start as a good humor ice cream truck driver at the tender age of 18 and ascended to the boardroom by 1974. 
And if you want to feel really bad about yourself, he was just 32 when he came up with the Choco Taco. And yes, he has inventor of Choco Taco on his LinkedIn page. This guy really loves having invented the Choco Taco. Wouldn't you? I mean, it's true. (laughs) Talking to uh, Eater in 2017 for their pretty much ground zero for the history of the Choco Taco until we came along, motherfuckers. Uh, Eater has the best definitive history on it. But Alan Drazen, you can corner him in line at a pizza truck apparently and he will tell you about how we've made the choco taco he said they have sold one billion of them as of 2017 so probably a lot more uh by this point or roughly three for every person in the u.s so has i he issued a statement on the demise of the choco taco oh great question great great question we should have we should i mean i'm sure this is probably the worst day of the last 40 years to try to get in touch with this man but we should have tried to get we should have tried to have him on the show i don't see that he has um coherent words right now are probably beyond him he's probably just so grief-stricken i don't see an up i did find his linkedin which is where i found that update but i don't see that he's made a public statement on it Jamie, can we put an ask out to the Choco Taco guy? <laughs> Thanks. He will show up dressed all in black, wearing a leather baseball hat uh, <laughs> with the Choco Taco logo on it. There's a really priceless video of him on Vice, ostensibly being interviewed by a reporter from Vice, but it's basically just the guy from Vice eating a Choco Taco mm-hmm. in front of the creator of the Choco Taco and not really asking many questions, but it's still a fun video anyway. But yeah, this guy... Alan Drazen, this was his first novelty ice cream idea, which is just incredible. Talk about just, you know, home run, your first time stepping up to the plate. First first thought, best thought. I think it was, is that Eno? Is that one of the oblique strategies? I think you said it was Alan Ginsberg. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right, right, right. In a separate video for Eater, if you are so moved, you can watch him sing the Choco Taco theme song, which, uh, (laughs) yes, is written to the tune of La Cucaracha. I don't know this theme song. Can you sing it? Does that count as an ad? Does it count as an ad if the product's being discontinued? No, do it. I don't know. I Now, let's see if I can find it. Um, the Choco Taco, the Choco Taco. It's literally, yes. It's yeah. like, it's like a tasty it treat yeah. a tasty treat for you and me. Like something well, like that's that. That's good. That's actually not bad. Yeah. Well, before we go any further, in a transparent attempt to bulk up the information in this episode, which might just be shaping up to be a just enough information episode, (laughs) uh, I'd like to take a quick look at ice cream through the ages. Early ice cream-like confections have appeared in many cultures over the years. Around 500 BC, the ancient Persians in present-day Iran created a frozen dessert out of ice, honey, saffron, and fruits. It was called falude. It was apparently a favorite of Alexander the Great's. Hmm. And I believe the more modern recipe incorporates thin vermicelli-sized noodles. Ice cream noodles? Interesting. Yeah. Huh. And then in ancient Rome, citizens sent slaves to collect <laughs> snow to create their version of ice cream. Had some uh, Emperor- fiddling while Rome burned. <laughs> yep. Go to, the, go to the mountains and get me ice, slave. <laughs> Emperor Nero is said to have loved lemon sorbet, uh, enriched with crushed raspberries and rose water. Hmm. Yeah, he probably ate this while watching Rome burn and playing his fiddle. (laughs) The Emperor Shang of the Tang Dynasty in 700s China, 700 AD, enjoyed a dessert that 
probably most closely resembles what we know as ice cream today. He supposedly had a total of 94 men dispatched to gather ice to combine with a yogurt made from buffalo milk, Hmm. flour, and camphor. Hmm. The drink was poured into metal tubes and lowered into ice pools to freeze, so it almost looked like popsicles. This was similar to the preparation of an Indian confection known as kolfi in 16th century India. And the record of the life of the Mughal Emperor Akbar the Great, who reigned from 1556 to 1605, describes creating this food with saltpeter being combined with ice from the Himalayas. Saltpeter, I think, being a crucial ingredient in gunpowder. I guess the, the the common theme here with all the sort of unusual things like camphor and saltpeter being added to ice is that it was very hard to have ice prior to refrigeration. So they were doing all sorts of unusual to our ears chemical reactions to try to make things stay consistently cold. So that's there's a, a a long standing argument that the um, or rumor I guess that the U.S. Army was putting salt would put saltpeter into the rations to. Uh, knock down the sexual drive of their soldiers is not true and i don't think it even does that <laughs> but it's just it's an. i mean i just i just looked it up and it's on got a snopes entry so wow i'm no i'm no pharmacologist but gunpowder seems like it would be an aphrodisiac i don't know don't people like snort gunpowder with like cocaine i don't even have it i don't even have a joke to go with that <laughs> Oh, yeah, here you go. Brown brown is a purported form of cocaine or amphetamine insufflation, so up the nose, mixed with smokeless gunpowder. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. All right. And back to other treats of the the upper class. It's believed that the Venetian traveler Marco Polo introduced Asian ice cream recipes to Europe after his famous trip to the Far East in the 13th century. Same trip that supposedly brought back pasta. It quickly spread all over Europe, and Antonio Latini, a kitchen overseer for the Spanish Viceroy in Naples, published the first book of recipes for what was then known as Sorbetto in 1694. In one very famous and likely apocryphal quote, Voltaire supposedly said, Ice cream is exquisite. What a pity it isn't illegal. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. Uh, Catherine the Great of Russia, known for her passions of varying... Never mind. Nope. Was reportedly so obsessed with the frozen treat that she had her own porcelain ice cream serving sets made for her. Uh, (laughs) How could you? (laughs) Google Catherine the Great and horses, folks. Uh, Okay, then over to England, my beloved England. According to a slightly dubious legend, King Charles I of England reportedly paid his chef 500 pounds to keep his recipe secret and exclusively for his court. Nice. It was known as icy cream back then. <laughs> um, <laughs> other early recipes in England called for the inclusion of ambergris, which is a waxy substance found in the intestine of a sperm whale. So maybe it makes sense that King Charles I wanted to keep his ice cream recipe private. It's probably better than all these other ones. King Charles II's love of ice cream is more verifiable. He built an ice house in the center of London at the start of his reign in 1660. And the first printed ice cream recipe in Europe was in the handwritten receipts of Lady Anne Fanshawe in 1665. And her husband was Charles II's ambassador to Spain. The ice cream began to become really popular in high society. And by the 1700s, flavors like chocolate, pistachio, pineapple, jasmine, artichoke, candied pumpkin, pine nut, 
pear, and chestnut appeared in many of London's fashionable ice cream parlors. Uh, and there was an especially famous place in Berkeley Square in London called the Pineapple, which had flavors like Parmesan and cucumber. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, these recipes have been lost to time. Mm. Parmesan ice cream. Like, there's that place in uh, on Bleecker Street that has like sweet corn ice cream. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, cones. Uh, but because there were no ice cream cones at this time, the way that they zhuzhed it up was to use pewter molds, which were in the shape of pretty much everything you can think of. There were roses. There were pineapples. There were lobsters. There were even ice cream molds in the shape of ham <laughs> for some reason. And... Ice cream would be put into these molds and then colored to resemble whatever real item the mold happened to be and then elaborately decorated. So you'd put ice cream in a rose-shaped mold, bring it out, dye it red, and then decorate it with like leaves and petals and stuff. It was this really elaborate thing. And there was even one candle-shaped ice cream mold that would allow for a working wick to be inserted. Mm. So you'd have this, like, there's a picture of it online. Somebody still has it, and they and they shoved ice cream in there and demonstrated it. You see this it looks like a real candlestick and, like, a little Geppetto candle holder, and there's a little wick on top of the flame. Yeah, it's pretty cool. In 2018, Windy Brow Farms from New Jersey introduced ham ice cream. I can almost understand two pounds, that being... Two pounds of Taylor ham in every two-and-a-half-gallon container. That's a guarantee. That's too much ham. That's a lot of ham. <laughs> That's just frozen ham juice. <laughs> and on the topic of weird ways to make money, now over to America. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson apparently introduced the vanilla flavor to the U.S. market after visiting France. And George Washington loved ice cream so much that he spent a reported $200 hmm. on the frozen treat throughout the summer of 1790. In today's dollars, that's $5,000. Holy shit. So, yeah, imagine spending $5,000 on ice cream in a summer. Dolly Madison, the wife of U.S. President James Madison, served ice cream at her husband's inaugural ball in 1813. Back to Victorian England. Uh, poorer folks did not have these elaborate... Uh, ice cream molds they had to make do with what was known as a penny lick which was served in a glass this is really mean <laughs> the penny licks were served in a glass that looked really deep but it was actually just an optical illusion based on how the glass was cut and it only held a tiny bit so you'd be given these <sighs> these cups and just it, you just would see like a reflection of the ice looking like it was going all the way down but it was just on that's top. grim yeah so not only did these glasses rip people off and disappoint people but they were also as i touched on earlier a fantastic way of transmitting diseases the ice cream vendor would rinse them out quickly with water but rarely good enough to kill bacteria and it was believed at the time that they helped spread tuberculosis throughout england and actually in 1899 penny licks were banned from london <laughs> And speaking of banned ice cream products, I'm almost done. <laughs> Around the same time in the 1890s, religious laws known as the Blue Laws led to a ban on ice cream sodas in many U.S. states. The way around this led to the creation of the ice cream sundae. Though this is admittedly hotly contested. Various localities that have claimed to be the birthplace of the ice cream sundae include Plainsfield, Illinois, New Orleans, Louisiana, Cleveland, Ohio, New York City, Two Rivers, Wisconsin, and Ithaca, New York. We should give this one to. We'll let them we should give this out. one to Ithaca. Ithaca or Two Rivers, Wisconsin. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, either one. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you two share it. <laughs> well, like like those popsicles with the two sticks. We'll break it in half. You can both have it. Yeah. Um. Back to oh, we already are in the United States, <laughs> and out on the out on the street in the poorer districts of the United States and the UK, ice creams were sold by 
the Hokey Pokey Man. Huh. Have you ever heard of the Hokey Pokey Man? I sure haven't. Uh, they were traditionally Italian, though sometimes French. There it and the is. The name derived from their Italian cries of Oce Poco or Oh How Cheap. That's the theory, at least. There's also a theory that their name Hokey Pokey was derived from Hocus Pocus or Hokum in reference mm. to these scammy products sold on the streets alongside the ice cream. But this ice cream, usually the tricolored Neapolitan variety, was seen as a cheap and easy way for people to cool down in the sweltering summer months in urban centers at the start of the 20th century, especially in the Chicago area tenement slums. So the Hokey Pokey Man becomes sort of a hallmark of lower income areas and much like the penny licks in the UK, they were looked at unfavorably as basically a way of spreading diseases. All middle class reformers kind of looked down their noses at the dreaded hokey pokey man and tried to have him abolished. Uh, and as I said earlier, milk wasn't pasteurized in the US until the 1890s, which meant that any dairy product was potentially laced with the bacteria that caused all sorts of horrible stuff. Scarlet fever, diphtheria, and bovine tuberculosis. Newspapers described ice cream poisoning epidemics in which dozens of fairgoers, picnic attendees, and party guests were made sick or even died. Still, the Hokey Pokey Man was seen as a jolly and welcome figure in these uh, lower income areas, crying out, Hokey Pokey, sweet and cold, for a penny new or old. That was his little jingle before you had the uh, ice cream trucks with their uh, turkey in the straw theme, which we'll get to in a minute. <clears throat> Uh, the story of the ice cream cone invention is a little murky. People have made variations of it since the late 1800s, but it really took off at the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. There's multiple versions of this story, but the most popular one is that there was an ice cream vendor at the World's Fair who apparently didn't have enough bowls to keep up with the ice cream demand, so he paired up with a waffle vendor who rolled his products into cornucopias. And this allowed for people to eat their ice cream as they roamed the fair and taking in the latest inventions, including the X-ray, the wireless telephone, hmm. which I feel like I need to triple fact check that because that seems crazy, and 140 different models of automobile. And then literally nothing else interesting occurred in the realm of ice cream science until 1983 when Alan Drazen invented the Choco Taco. <laughs> Drazen said at the time that Mexican food was the fastest growing segment of the food industry. And now that we had already taken a massive detour into context you didn't need, I'm about to do it again, motherfuckers. During the early 1980s of the 2,500 Mexican restaurants in the U.S. at the time, only about 150 were in the, uh, in the Northeast. Um, obviously, you get a lot of stuff down the border, San Antonio or, or L.A., places with you know, historically Mexican immigrant populations. But as the 80s wore on, New York and with it the rest of the Northeast, where you'll remember Jack and Jill were based, uh, or next to anyway, developed an appetite for Mexican food. New York Magazine declaring in August 1983, the city is gripped by Mexican madness, which <laughs> feels racist. Never before has there been such passion for Mexican food or so many places to enjoy it. And actually, in a lot of ways, Drazen was really ahead of the curve because, remember, this is invented in 1983. In 1985, Food and Wine magazine was reporting on America's love affair with spicy foods. Six years later, 1991, salsa surpasses ketchup as the nation's best-selling condiment. Is that still the case? I That's don't know. crazy. Mm, probably after 9-11, ketchup came back. <laughs> Like a you got a, something to put on the freedom fries. Oh, in 2020, it was mayonnaise by a long what the hell by a long shot. You know what it is? It's the it's aioli. It's, it's the rise of aioli. 
would be my bet. Anyway, so really Mexican food, the decade is the mid 80s to the to the mid 90s. Um, tortilla sales quintuple from 80 to 90. The number of Mexican restaurants in the nation rise from a little over 13,000 in 85 to t- over 20,000 in 1994. It's easy to forget and very funny to as well to realize at the time how many Americans were just genuinely ignorant of Mexican food. While researching this, I discovered there was a famous public gaffe that President Gerald Ford made on a diplomatic trip when he was handed a tamale and he just bit into it without unwrapping it. <laughs> Is this before or after the Mater D pulled the chair out for him and he fell to the floor? Kicking the table as he went. You know, I think we should be... Or is that a Dan Aykroyd on SNL? I think we should be nicer to Gerald Ford. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I mean... Do you know he was a male model before he became president? Yeah. You know, considering the past 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years, 30 years, whatever. I I mean, just a, a gentle himbo. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Too Much Information in just a moment. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Drazen enjoys telling a fictionalized version of how he came up with the Chaco Taco, which goes as follows. I was on an expedition in Mexico and got separated from my party. It was hot. I hadn't had anything to drink. And then I saw a mirage, an ice cream taco rising out of the distance. That's how I got the idea. <laughs> Can you imagine if he went down there for some kind of like peyote journey? Yeah. And like that was his vision I, in the desert. I'm just imagining the chili episode of the simpsons i'm a coyote homer um uh that's my johnny cash i mean i'm gonna keep the johnny cash one in the back pocket for a while uh jack and jill the the reality of this is more of a necessity being the mother invention kind of thing jack and jill didn't have its own signature snack in any of its trucks and it is important also to note that they are a truck forward truck first 
company at this point rather than you know retail sales or stuff like that your generic truck sandwiches ice cream sandwiches strawberry shortcakes chocolate eclairs those are made by whomever but branded stuff like popsicles klondike bars and drumsticks you got pay a little extra for those and consequently jack and jill wanted their own version yeah and uh as we mentioned earlier uh mexican food was having a moment at the time and chi chi's uh famous foe of Jimmy Buffett, who he sued <laughs> yeah. to get the Margaritaville trademark back. They were offering churros and ice cream as a dessert. So Drazen, who recognized the taco shape as the most emblematic of Mexican food, pitched the idea and the company okayed it. They hired an ad agency to come up with names, but ultimately they just went with his idea, which he said he came up with on the fly. Uh, not to get too Pulp Fiction on you, but do you know what Choco Tacos are called in Europe? Oh, I do actually, because I wrote it later on. What's the, but yes. And I deleted it so I could put it here. You <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Go ahead. Winner Tacos. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as far as I can tell, that does not mean anything in any other language that would roughly translate to Choco or something sweet. I mean. Um, but I, I'm sure that people... Feel like winners. I was gonna say, tacos. I know, I know, I do. I, I feel like a winner when I eat a choco taco. Yeah, they were introduced in the late '90s, but discontinued at the dawn of the new millennium. And it was only thanks to a social media campaign in 2013 that the winner taco was ultimately brought back in 2014 in Europe. So hopefully, we'll see something similar in this country. I'm sure there's some kind of insane like moveon.org. Uh, oh yeah, change.org. Pledge. Yeah, yeah, change.org. Um, but. All of the good ideas in the world amount to nothing without execution. And this is where Gold Bond comes in. The Gold Bond Ice Cream Company, the pride of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Absolutely nothing else going on there except for Gold Bond Ice Cream. Not the f- So that's not the foot powder people. No, and I went I, I tried to find a lot more about this company and I, I can't. But what Bless I, your soul. <laughs> what I was able to find out is that they were founded by predictably a former dairy farmer. This would come in, interestingly, later on. His early ice cream experiments included a chocolate-dipped slice of ice cream rolled in nuts. Hmm. Sound familiar? Gold Bond, in 1977, had purchased the Popsicle name a little over 50 years after they were brought into the world of commercial manufacturing by a guy named Frank Epperson, who's a lemonade salesman from Oakland. He trademarked that name, Popsicle, and Gold Bond buys that, so that's their big claim to fame at this point. Jordan, tell us about Frank Epperson. Yes, according to lore, he invented the popsicle as an 11-year-old when he left a container of water mixed with powdered fruit flavoring out in his backyard overnight. And he lived in Northern California. It doesn't get that cold at night, but at this night, he apparently did. And he came out the next morning, the container of water was frozen and the stirring stick was still inside. And it gave him an idea for the popsicle. In 1922, he introduced his creation at a fireman's ball. I love that the popsicle was publicly unveiled at a fireman's ball. 100 <laughs> years ago. Wow, look at that. This, this episode will double as our 100th anniversary popsicle episode. Aww. Wow. And according to reports at this fireman's ball, the popsicle was, quote, a sensation. And the following year, he began selling the frozen pops to the public at an amusement park in Almadia, California, called Neptune Beach. And by 1924, he'd received a patent for his frozen confectionery, which he called the Epsicle Ice Pop, which does not roll off the tongue. He later renamed it Popsicle at the insistence of his children. Good call there. The kids are all right. Uh, They were originally sold in fruity flavors and marketed as, quote, a frozen drink on a stick. I love the on a stick 
phenomenon of foods. It's very American. Sadly for him, yeah, it was very American. Sadly for him, this is also very American. He sold the patent just a year after he filed it, uh, later saying, I was flat, meaning flat broke, and I had to liquidate all my assets. I haven't been the same since. This is oh, the that is a that's the plot of Breaking Bad. <laughs> Walter White sells his interest in the company for five thousand dollars, which goes on to become a billion dollar company, and he becomes obsessed oh. with money and status. <laughs> as a result, that is right. Well, apparently, this uh, Frank Epperson gentleman did not launch a murderous turf war, <laughs> but he could have. <laughs> but a brutal turf war did break out. So began what historians have called the Frozen Sucker War. Google it. I didn't make that up. (laughs) The Frozen Sucker War. Apparently there was a lawsuit because Good Humor thought that the Popsicle Corporation were treading too close to their ice cream on a stick products. You got your fudgicles, your creamsicles, etc. Eventually they settled out of court with Popsicle agreeing to pay Good Humor a license fee to manufacture what was called Frozen Suckers from ice and sherbet products. They get all the fruit flavors and Good Humor reserved the right to manufacture these products from ice cream, frozen custards and the like. I just think it's interesting that the term Popsicle is indeed trademarked. It was one of those things that I just thought was generic like Mm -hmm. Kleenex or Xerox. And I guess apparently so did the makers of the Brooklyn-based, now-defunct brand People's Pops, which I remember seeing all the time. Yeah. Brooklyn Flea Market and um, Smorgasburg and all that stuff. Uh, They dared to use the word Popsicle on their website, and they were slapped with a big old cease and desist from Unilever, the folks who bought the Popsicle name from Good Humor in 1989. And they are the people who are currently killing the Choco Taco, which brings us back to the point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so at the time, Gold Bond is a brand agnostic manufacturing contractor in the ice cream business. They not work for not just Jack and Jill, but also Good Humor. Uh, and they rejigger a machine at its dedicated cone plant, because the two are separate, to make a waffle cone in a folded shape. Um, and having them handle manufacturing of the shell also meant that Jack and Jill could have them fill the shell at their ice cream plant which meant uh, they saved on logistical costs and had less breakage of the taco shells cones. Is it called a... It's a shell, right? You can't call it a cone if it's not cone-shaped. Yeah, it's a shell. Yeah. An empty taco shell is very fragile, Drazen explained. If we'd had to ship those across the country, most of them wouldn't have made it. And uh, you waxed Rhapsodic on this in the intro, but, uh, you know, you were right on the money. Drazen said, uh, when you eat a sugar cone, you generally eat the nuts, chocolate, and ice cream at the top. And then when you get to the cone, you're only eating ice cream and cone. With the Choco Taco, you're getting ice cream, cone, nuts, and chocolate with just about every bite. Uh, Picture him in the boardroom selling his idea with that speech. I'm just picturing the... (laughs) Drunk Don Draper meme. It just says Choco, but it's a taco. (laughs) That famously crinkly silver wrapper is also a bit of uh, innovation. It is made from metallized polypropylene, which Drazen called high technology in 1984. And it was the first ice cream novelty to use the packaging, which kept air out better than wax paper. Uh, He does, however, concede that keeping the shells fresh has been an ongoing uh, problem, one that they still haven't quite nailed. I always thought it looked like the Space Age hydrated Pizza Hut pizzas from Back to the Future 2. So as I mentioned earlier, Jack and Jill was in the ice cream truck business. Truck forward. And... uh, (laughs) 
very truck forward business. Um, so this wine's very, very, very truck forward. <laughs> I know I'm getting some some uh, truck notes, some smoke notes on the back end, but but it's very truck forward. Um, but getting it into Taco Bell, which would have seemed the uh, you know obvious right from the get go, required a sort of backdoor route. Um, Alan said that, uh, that's get your mind out of the gutter. No, no. I'm, I'm thinking of like an Ocean's Eleven thing where they like rebuild oh, yeah. a Taco Bell set <laughs> in like a warehouse. <laughs> and like, this is how we're going to get into a Taco Bell. Like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. At the time, he said Taco Bell had a separate franchise division and a company owned store division. And the franchisees, being independent minded people, had their own trade shows. And so he knows all of these people from his truck driving and and Jack and Joe connections and starts getting the Choco Taco at the trade shows where obviously Drazen? Yeah, Drazen. Where obviously runaway hit. People loved it. People love him. What's not the love? Well, while we're here discussing both bells and ice cream trucks, what do you say we do a brief history of the ice cream truck, shall we? Please. What do you think? Great. The forerunner of the ice cream man were obviously the hokey pokey men with their push carts. But in 1920, a man by the name of Harry Burt decided to go big, to live moss, if you will. <laughs> a native of Youngstown, Ohio, this forward thinking confectioner hit on the idea of coating ice cream and chocolate and putting it on a stick. He had a background in making lollipops, so this idea made sense to him. Thus, the good humor bar was born. And then he outfitted 12 white delivery trucks with freezers so he could bring this straight to customers. And for extra pizzazz, he took bells from his son's bobsled, presumably after asking, and sticking them on the trucks. So they'd make a lot of noise and people would, you know, look and see what all the fuss was about. See this freezer on wheels selling great chocolatey, ice creamy desserts. And there you go. You got it made. Uh, But he wanted both the trucks and their drivers to be pristine white. To differentiate them from the hokey pokey men who, again, were believed to spread disease with their unhygienic glass bowls. They wanted parents to be very much at ease. This was a very clean health, well, I mean, not healthy, but hygienic product. (laughs) And these drivers also kept to a prearranged route, which was something that was fairly revolutionary at the time. Uh, You know, these people with the push carts stick to the same neighborhood, but they would kind of mix it up every now and then. These people actually had a dedicated route that they would travel. And so was born the Good Humor Man. And it was good. <laughs> Everyone of a certain age remembers the Good Humor Man being a very welcome sight in their neighborhood. So this was in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Flash forward to St. Patrick's Day, 1956. Brothers William and James Conway start a little something called Mr. Softy. They drive around West Philadelphia, which is playing a major role in this ice cream history, I should say. It's the starting point for Choco Taco and Mr. Softy. But on the St. Patrick's Day, these brothers are selling cones with green soft-serve ice cream in honor of the holiday. Now, soft-serve had been invented some 20 years before this in the mid to late 30s, pioneered by the founders of Dairy Queen and Carvel, but the Conways are believed to be the first to take soft-serve mobile. And at first, they just bolted down a soft-serve machine to the back of a truck, but it caused some problems with the electronics in the vehicle. It would overheat, short out. It was bad. Kids would have to wait a long time to get their soft serve cones. I just love that they have this idea and that they're like, yeah, just bolt the freezer onto the truck. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Put a trough on uh, it. Let him feed out of that. <laughs> so they had to experiment with airflow in the truck, you know, just to deal with 
the heat problem uh, using different fans and different generators. And finally, by 1958, they nailed it, and the company had become so successful that the brothers began the franchise, giving the good humor folks a run for their money. Today, there are more than 400 Mr. Softy franchises employing more than 700 trucks across 15 states. And they're largely unchanged from the original, right down to the soft serve menu on the side. I guess for over 50 years, that menu board has only changed four times. Oh. And um, yeah, right? It's pretty impressive. I, I would assume just to reflect uh, inflation in the prices, but beyond <laughs> that, it's mostly the same. The biggest change to the ice cream truck is the sound system used to blast the familiar tune, which I'm sorry to say has a deeply racist background. Uh, the famous ice cream truck theme uh which everyone knows i'm not even gonna bother humming has its origins in the folk song turkey and the straw but it was rewritten in 1916 with new lyrics about ice cream which is why it has an association with ice cream parlors and ice cream trucks you can google it if you like but the words are steeped in slurs stereotypes and watermelon i will leave it there yeah but everyone loves the ice cream truck right <laughs> As you meditate on that, we'll be right back with more Too Much Information after these messages. I'm late. I'm late. Very important Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over six million active hourly workers snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker retail associate grocery store clerk fitness trainer baker stylist bellhop podcast producer yeah Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Choco Taco was a hit, and Alan used his connections to get the snack into a lot of these franchise Taco Bells around the country, at which point Taco Bell wisely takes notice and calls him. Because in this uh. business, first you get the Choco, then you get the Taco, then you get the power. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is how I win. <laughs> this is how I win. One thing that Taco Bell actually influenced in the Chaco's design was the, uh, the quote, light ice cream, which came as an ask from uh, Big Bell in an attempt to reduce their fat and caloric content across the board. Sadly, though, uh, they stopped offering. They had a falling out. They stopped offering the Chaco Taco at some point. I wasn't able to find when. I wonder if it was when they became commercially available. Yeah, I bet. Moving right along in the history, another crucial moment occurs in 1989 when Good Humor and its parent company, Unilever, buy Gold Bond. Uh, Drazen said, it went from me selling it to my friends around the country to going into, at the time, maybe twenty to 30,000 Unilever freezers. So convenience store freezers are akin to branded Coke and Pepsi machines. They're often stocked by one ice cream company, which is one reason uh, why stores usually have more than one. Unilever are the ice cream industrial complex. <laughs> I think they're literally the largest ice cream manufacturer on the planet. They bought Klondike, which became the Choco Taco parent brand in 1993, and then Briars. Uh, then they spent some change on Ben Jerry's in 2001 and Talenti in 2014. Um, the list of Choco Taco also rans in the flavor department. I have never tasted a single one of these, but apparently they add Heath Bar, uh, another toffee flavor, peanut butter, cookies and cream, strawberry, and a kind of Dolce uh, de Leche style uh, caramel-ish marketed as fried ice cream. You ever had fried ice cream? That's a real no. county fair kind of thing. I don't do fried stuff. For my crazy sweet tooth, I don't really do fried Oreos, fried ah, Twinkies, fried okay. ice cream. Okay. Yeah, fried is kind of my one thing. Fried and cheesecake. I don't do cheesecake either. Oh, okay, okay. A fuller por- Anything else is fair game. A fuller portrait of your gustatory <laughs> yeah. habits I'm is emerging. I'm glad you know me better after this. <laughs> uh, the Sea uh, the, the Talk, the Chocks, Mr. Chalky. Oh, God. Uh, made his first appearance in supermarkets nationwide when Good Humor Briars, who had switched manufacturing to Richmond, Virginia, um, promoted it in 19... I don't know why I mentioned that. Like, it was some kind of big thing, but... You went to school there, didn't you? Uh, Fairfax, close. But yeah, oh. I, got, I got a soft spot for, for Richmond. Home of Guar. Oh, that's right. Among, among many other punk and metal bands. And... Uh, Anyway, uh, they promoted it in 1996 as America's Coolest Taco at the Supermarket Industry Convention in Chicago, which was the first time it was made commercially available for home consumption. It is America's Coolest Taco. (laughs) Uh, 2014 was another big year for Choco Taco, largely because of the drama that surrounded its Wikipedia page. I didn't miss this when it was happening, but it's hilarious to me. There's a Twitter bot uh, that was started in July of 2014 called Congress Edits, which has since been suspended, uh, that was created to automatically collect Wikipedia edits made by congressional staffers. So it was, I guess, crawling the IP addresses of various congressional computers in the offices and would just automatically announce whenever a correction or an edit to a Wikipedia page was made from one of those IP addresses. And it turned out that the Wikipedia entry for the Chaco Taco became a fiery hot crucible of battle for these congressional staffers, edited six times by either the House of Representatives or the State Department staffers during the workday, which, come on, Jordan, take us down this journey. The first occasion that someone in the House of Representatives or the State House tried to edit the 
Wikipedia page for Choco Taco occurred on November 10th, 2010. A staffer edited in a reference to former speaker Sam Rayburn that erroneously suggested that he'd given a quote to the Washington Post about the Choco Taco. That edit was killed within hours by an editing bot that helps maintain Wikipedia's factual standards. The next edit happened... Four years later, in July 2014, they tried it again. A staffer tried to sneak Speaker Rayburn's name into the Choco Taco Wikipedia page once again, at which point it was deleted a second time with a helpful comment by a Wikipedia editor. Sam Rayburn died in 1961. The Choco Taco was introduced in the 80s. Translation, impossible. Stop messing with us. I just love that that's... But, it's then, so, okay. but then the people at the House of Representatives or the Speaker, I don't know where this came from, Got pissed. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> seemingly in retribution, uh, a State Department computer then changed Choco Taco to Taco two days later. And a, uh, a short period of back and forth occurred when they were just continually in the Washington Post reporting on this. They were like, they also added an expletive that we can and will not print. Um, finally, the State Department IP address was served a sternly worded warning from Wikipedia, and our long national nightmare drew to a close. I just <laughs> Do checked. Do we know why this? Nope. It's just somebody's inside joke about Senator Rayburn. As far as I can tell, people have not come forward about it, and no update on that. If you or a loved one was the congressional staffer with uh, a Jones for Sam Rayburn... And Choco Tacos, please get in contact with the podcast. Just a year, under a year later, Choco Tacos appeared in the news again as a wedge issue in the negotiations between the Bureau of Land Management and uh, the popular druggy desert festival Burning Man, a favorite of uh, Bay Area tech wonks and Susan Sarandon where you dress up like a weird steampunk hot topic nightmare and you go and do drugs in the desert and there's a bunch people have like uh don't what well, i explain does that doesn't do i need to explain burning man to people surely everyone understands burning man at this point no no oh, i'm i'm looking really quick to see uh who else really loves burning man susan sarandon i know posts from there like every year because i used to write about it to people um anyway it's a huge hassle for nevada because it takes place out in the desert and the bureau of land management has to go out and you know pick up and clean after all of these degenerates I'm going to get so many angry Burning Man people coming up. Well, they're cleaning up after the people who litter, who who I think are, are, are worthy of your scorn. Yes. Only, you know, people who go to Burning Man and are respectful of the environment. I have no quarrel Great. with you. So they're negotiating with the Burning Man Festival founders. And part of their asks include Choco Tacos, M&M's, Licorice, and Chobani Greek Yogurt. These are according to documents obtained by the Reno Gazette Journal, and the festival's officials pushed back, calling the demands excessive and out of their ability to meet. Uh, they also asked for drumsticks and popsicles, along with a lot of, like, steak, like, specific different cuts of steak. Um, and the snack bar, which included the ice cream, was supposed to be available 24 hours a day. I just love the fact that the Bureau of Land Management is gouging the Burning Man people, but they later sued them. This is in 2019. At the time of the Choco Taco demand, they were paying about $4 million for the permits necessary to host Burning Man. When they sue the Bureau of Land Management in 2019, they charged that the prices had increased 291% over the last three years. 
I want a full-on Chinatown-style film noir about the corrupt Bureau of Land Management gouging the organizers of Burning Man for millions of dollars in round-the-clock Choco Taco access. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Anyway. Unilever appeared to place the blame of the discontinuation of the Choco Taco on the now classic supply chain disruption. They wrote their announcement that we've experienced an unprecedented spike in demand across our portfolio and have had to make very tough decisions to ensure availability of our full portfolio nationwide. We're very sorry for any disappointment. This was not entirely out of the blue. Grassroots uh, reporting... (laughs) Um had uh, revealed shortages of the snack in the months leading up to the announcement. Though as of December 2021, uh, Klondike was reassuring fans on Twitter that while it had pulled the four packs of the Choco Taco, single servings would still be available in all the usual places. I guess among the snacks that were also discontinued with a Klondike donut. What the hell is that? Is this just like a Klondike bar with a hole in it? No idea. Let's, uh, Jamie, can we pull up a Klondike donut? What the? It's just an ice cream sandwich with yeah. It's just an. It's it's a. You can't do that. <laughs> You're so offended. You can't just put a hole in something and call it a donut. It's also square shaped, which is really funny. It's just a Klondike bar with a hole. So it's just a Klondike bar with less of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's why it was discontinued. That, well, or or they were just like, shoot, we're really running out of ice cream. <laughs> we got to use less ice cream in our Klondike. Punch bars. a hole in it. We're already. Well, yeah, punch a hole in it, and then you know maybe out of that we can we can use it to make choco tacos, and then people weren't buying. Well, this gets into the conspiracy theory portion of the episode. Um, at least one person has suggested that the move is more of a new Coke classic Coke calculated marketing move. Uh, as a TV director, Payman Ben said, "The choco taco is a hundred percent going to come back, and they're going to say our outrage is why it's back, just like Taco Bell's Mexican pizza." I completely agree with this i said that multiple times in the last 24 hours by the way we're taping this the day after i believe hell yes we are was announced this is this is type our fingers to the bone for you people (laughs) this is still very fresh for us and maybe by the time this episode is released the whole Choco Taco scene will have changed. That's probably true. This is a, this is a, a rapidly developing story, <laughs> so apologies in advance. Um, but yeah, I've been saying this repeatedly. I think that you know this is what happens when there are products that aren't selling as much as you know they would like. They threaten to take them away. There's a huge outcry, and then people remember, oh my god, yeah, that's right. I love Choco Tacos. I've thought more about Choco Tacos in the last 24 hours than I have in the last 24 years. So I, I don't remember this Mexican pizza thing. Do you remember this? I don't remember the Mexican pizza thing, but we've talked about the new oh, yeah, Coke, of classic Coke thing on here. I think right? the Mexican, I mean, just yeah, to, go ahead. Give us the Reader's Digest. I mean, yeah, the really quick version. I think we talked about it on the Sonic the Hedgehog episode, which is weird. <laughs> um, there is a conspiracy theory. I'm, I'm going to do this really quick because it gets kind of granular that the makers of Coke in the 80s used real sugar in their product, which was expensive, and they wanted to switch to corn syrup, which was less expensive. And 
rather than risk sort of changing it and have people notice, wait a minute, this tastes different. They say, oh, we're going to make a new product and then, you know, discontinue the old one that you've known for a hundred years and loved. And then once there was this huge outcry about like, oh my God, where is our original Coke flavor? They said, okay, here's your original Coke flavor back. But when they gave the original Coke flavor back, it wasn't the same. They'd secretly made that change to the cheaper formula, but people didn't know any better because they had it in their mind. Nope, this is the original. They told me it was the original. Says right on the bottle, Coke Classic. Um, so that's the really not that interesting conspiracy theory. <laughs> Maybe we can get on the uh, the stuff they don't want you to know. Get the stuff they don't want you to know, oh, guys. Too. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get a little little cross iHeart synergy going. Yeah. Um, Jamie, put in a call to the uh, stuff they don't want you to know. I folks. think it's funny too, too, that people were immediately just saying that it was canceled. Yes, that's right. I mean, it's funny how quickly. Again, this is twenty four hours after the fact. There are so much, so much misinformation out there. Thank God we are here to put you folks straight. Yes, there was a myth that took root in the immediate aftermath of the news that the Choco Taco was being discontinued, that it was canceled in a politically correct sense. Uh, someone with even more free time than we have <laughs> uh, manipulated a headline from our friends at People.com, our former employers, and they changed this headline to read Klondike's Choco Taco canceled by woke mob after almost 40 years. And they had a subheading on this fake headline that read, A representative for the brand confirmed to people that due to recent allegations of, quote, cultural appropriation, the Choco Taco is no more. <sighs> However, People's PR queen, the mighty Julie Farron, hello, Julie, we love you, confirmed to the AP that this story is false. No such headline ever appeared on People's website. Thank God. Uh, Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian was one of the people who weighed in from high places. Uh, he offered to buy the rights from Unilever to, quote, keep the Choco Taco from melting away from future generations' childhoods. And Connecticut Democratic Senator Chris Murphy tweeted what I hope was a facetious vow to invoke the Defense Production Act to mandate the continued manufacture of Choco Tacos and telling his followers to call their senator to co-sponsor the legislation. I have to assume he was joking, unless... I mean, I want them to invoke martial law for that <laughs> Unless... The purge, Choco Taco. Unless Senator Chris Murphy was the guy editing the Wikipedia page way back in... Uh, Way back in the day. That would really bring this super long game. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But, folks, there may yet be hope. And one of the responses on Twitter, Klondike did write that, we are working hard to find a way to bring Choco Taco back to ice cream trucks in the coming years. Years? Years. I want it next summer. Good God. I'd eat it in the middle of December at this point. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, if Klondike doesn't come to their senses, I'm hoping that it goes the way of Dippin' Dots, the space-age flash-frozen treat that filed for bankruptcy protection in 2011, only to be purchased by Oklahoma oil man Scott Fisher and his father Mark for just $12.7 million back in 2012. He was 32 at the time. Good Lord. Can you imagine? He's younger than us, and he bought Dippin' Dots wholesale. My God. Six years after he bought it in 2018... Dippin' Dots broke $330 million in annual revenue, which is an absolutely stunning success story. So maybe he'll do it again with Chocolate yeah. Talk. And despite the best efforts of uh, Sean Spicer, do you remember Sean Spicer's war against Dippin' Dots? 
Yeah, White House press what, secretary, he just always tweet. former White House secretary, press secretary Sean Spicer, for starting in 2010, was just tweeting like, "Dippin' Dots are not the ice cream of the future." Just like four to five times, he shared an article about the bankruptcy. I mean, d- d- what was he doing in 2010, just professionally? Maybe he was the guy who was also messing with the chocolate oh, taco Wikipedia. How page. deep does this rabbit hole go? Yeah, uh, Woodward and Bernstein of frozen novelty. Yeah, ice cream. we should freedom of we should freedom of information act this stuff. <laughs> Maybe we can reach out to the Wikipedia editors and be like, who exactly did this? Um, there was a truly beautiful elegy uh, written for the Choco Taco by LA Times columnist Gustavo Arellano, whose uh, author bio on the paper site explains that he is the child of two Mexican immigrants, one of whom came to this country in the trunk of a Chevy. The day after the the news broke, he wrote, Few other foods can seem so non-Mexican as this, an ice cream confection concocted by a white guy from Philadelphia. And yet, it's muy, muy Mexican. Its core ingredients, chocolate, vanilla, and a taco shell, albeit one made of waffle cone, are Mexican in origin. Its affordability and ubiquity make it a treat for the masses. Tradition is important, he continued, but so is making and embracing our own traditions, letting other cultures learn from us and vice versa. Evolution, not stasis, is why Mexican food remains one of the most vibrant cuisines in the world. Nothing's more authentically Mexican than a mishmash. So I feel comfortable letting him have the last word on Choco Taco, you know, at least until it comes back. And um, I think it will. will. What's your over under? I hope it will. Yeah, we should we should get in touch with some Vegas odds makers and get the over under on uh, yeah. Choco Taco Resurrection. <laughs> oh well, folks, you know I hope you were able to get your hands on on one or two of these guys before the um, inevitable descent of humanity into a grim hellscape of murderous hunter gatherers and charnel houses. Uh, where was I going with that? Should we just do. <laughs> Just remake Jingle All the Way, but make it about people <laughs> just trying to get their hands on Choco Tacos. That constitutes a verbal trademark. You will have to pay both of us if you pick that up, Hollywood. Thank you so much for listening, folks. This has been Too Much Information. I'm Alex Heigl. And I'm Jordan Runtog. We'll catch you next time. Too Much Information was a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The supervising producer is Mike Johns. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex Heigl. With original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.